Welcome to Fun Sexy Bible Time. I am Matthew, I am the host, and if you will notice, that is not our typical theme music. Um, we're having a special episode today. Um, our guest, I don't want to say Christian music legend, because that seems a little pretentious. So, can, I'm not can I, Wayne, can I just call you a cool dude who makes good music? That's fine. And, and for a long time, maybe? Wayne Watson. Wayne Watson is with us today. I am beyond geeked to uh, talk to him and pick his brain. How you doing, Wayne? I'm doing good, Matthew. Good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is all our pleasure. Hey, listen, before we get started, and I got a lot of stuff I want to ask you about, uh, I did want to see if you could give a shout out to the worship minister at my church. His name is Bruce Ellsworth, and uh, he yelled at me one time because I think we did like a uh, like a web interview and in the web interview i accused you of having a mullet at one point and uh bruce defended you honorably for me. so uh, i just wanted to throw that to well, you could you could you give bruce ellsworth a shout out for me hey bruce man i appreciate the uh, defense and the standing up for uh the, there are two of us that that agree that it was not a mullet everybody else thinks it was a mullet including my wife. She thinks it was a mullet. She says it was a mullet. She doesn't think it is. She says it was. But I maintain that the mullet had to be short in the front and long in the back. Well, they call it business in the front, party in the back, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it was one long piece of hair. And when I, when I leaned over and brushed it all forward, I looked like Cousin Ed from Adam's family. But, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for standing up for me, Bruce. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, so tell us, uh, tell us about your um, your latest project. I've been digesting it slowly. I haven't really digested all of it, um, but I'm, I'm really liking Simple Life. Um, can you Thank talk you. about where that came from? Uh, it came from several years of uh, grabbing time to write when I could. Um, we adopted a little boy uh, two years ago. He was born in March of 2014. Um, prior to that, I was, you know, writing and, and creating a musical thing is just hard. And I, I see these these guys on PBS or, you know, and they're singing their old hits, and they're like 80, and they're trying to do dance moves. I'm just singing. <laughs> hey, leave Carmen out of this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, don't, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Uh, and, you know, when I go and play, there's some songs that I get to play every night, uh, and I like playing them, and I'm flattered that people want to hear them from 20, 30 years ago, but my life is different than it was uh, even 10, 12 years ago. Very different. Uh, it's taken me a while to let some of these ideas uh, brew or boil, um, and I just then I, when I got when I got really energized about doing a new project. Um, the reason I wasn't energized about it at the first is that it just didn't seem to matter. It seemed like the, there was such a glut of product and music and artists and all of them young and skinny and dark hair and. Uh, hip and whatever and I'm like does the world really need another album from me and that's not really the point in the first place so I just started writing material 
and expressing things. And the problem, the reason it took so long is I was under no pressure from a record company. I was under no pressure from anybody. Uh, and I just took my time. And I would go back and write and rewrite and rewrite. And then when I began the recording process, I thought, well, I've got to, I've got to gather a budget. And I mean, you know, we used to spend a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars to do an album, and I, that, that's just different now. You know that it's different. Uh, so I began to listen to a lot of things, and then I began to uh, compare them to some of the things I'm recording right here at home, right where I'm sitting, talking to you. And uh, bought a few good mics and kind of upgraded my gear a little bit and started recording. And I started comparing it, and I thought, you know, this doesn't sound bad. And then I realized that most listeners are not listening quite as critically as I. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know what, well, let's try this. So I, I, I recorded some songs. I sent some things off to Nashville to some string players and a couple of things to some guitar players that are just great players. And I would literally send them a wave file over the internet. They would record in their home studio, send it back to me. I would throw it into the mix and, and mix it. So that's how it all started. Uh, and by the, you know, before I knew it, I had 10, 11, 12 songs ready to put on a project. Yeah. Yeah. You can find his album, Simple Life, on iTunes. Uh, that's where I've been getting tracks from. It, it sounds, from what I've, from what, like I said, what I have digested from it, it sounds like you wrote it for you in some ways. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll confess to you that uh, in the early days, I, because I never had ambitions to do this. I never, I never dreamed this big. I, uh, and, and the things I'm about to say are not insignificant, but I, I thought I would be a school teacher or a uh, music minister in churches and just keep it small, keep it tight. Mm-hmm. Or I never had ambition to do this. I never knew that it was possible. And so uh, early on, I was just very much pressured to please everybody. Uh, I, I'm just that kind of person. I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to be peaceful. And uh, a lot of the music I would write, uh, I would write to speak to them. And then it began to evolve. I didn't want to write songs that I thought they wanted to hear. I started to write songs that I thought people needed to hear. Those weren't as popular. <laughs> Those are the songs on the album that people fast forward through, or or pick up the needle and move it to another track, or uh, hit the eight track fast forward button. But uh, yeah, I wrote stuff I thought, and honestly, Christian radio in the early days uh, played a lot of a great variety of material, and then it, they sort of morphed into this thing of playing what made people feel good, mm-hmm. which is great. But sometimes you need to have somebody in your face a little bit. And I think I was probably a little uh, pious and thought, that's me. I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to t- I, you, where you were going with that, I wanted to sort of walk, walk backwards a little bit from where Christian music is now to you know, go back 20, 25 years. Um, because we had some worship music coming out of CCM, I guess what you call the early days. You put out Almighty. Uh, Rich Mullins put out, our, you know, Our God is an Awesome God. That became pretty big in some churches. Oh, yeah. Amy yeah. Grant did some. Michael W. Smith did some. So my question is, at that time, did you have any inkling that this is the future of Christian music, is that everybody's going to be infatuated with worship music? No, I did not. That's the short answer. Um, 
And then when it became the thing that everybody was doing, I contemplated uh, doing it and tried to do it. And again, I'm not trying to um, sound pious, but I could not do it. I, I couldn't. I could not, in good conscience, just manipulate words and music um, to write worship songs that would be popular. And I really wanted to. Itch. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to, but uh, I just couldn't. And Almighty came out of just, uh, uh, it was the one thing. I, I remember the record company at the time, It was, it was I was with Word Records, and the uh, record people came down to my house in, here in Houston, and I, I gave them a cassette of all the new songs I had written to be considered for the new album. <laughs> and I, I told them before they went into my studio to listen, and I wasn't with them. I was not going to sit in there and... <laughs> watch their pictures while they listen to my brand new works. And uh, I said, before you go in, let me just say there's one song on the cassette that I wish was not on there. I don't want to do it. It's just <laughs> I wrote it. It's all So just ignore it when you feel, if you want to. And uh, they came out and said, you're nuts. <laughs> really? And so, I don't know. I don't think any of us, I don't think any of us saw for lack of a better term, uh, the worship uh, phase of Christian music taking over everything. Yeah, I've got a, I got a theory about that. I'll, I'll bounce it off you and you tell me if I'm close or not. I think one of the things that made worship music sort of take off was there like in the mid-90s to late 90s, you had bands like Delirious, uh, you had bands like Sonic Flood start to put out these, I guess, hip worship albums that right. really resonated with the teens and we could you know we could write a hundred think pieces about whether worship music should be hip or not you know right whatever but I, th- I feel like that time period is when they started marketing it to teens that's when it took right. off because those teens those are now the people leading worship in churches yeah and they're the ones that sometimes my booking agent will call and will sk- try to schedule dates and they won't even recognize my name and <laughs> uh, that's a little hurtful at first, but it's like, hey, you know, that's the world we live in, in business and in lots of industry. That's that's the way it is. Uh, young, fresh ideas, but, you I mean, know. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't tell them that you're a, a personal friend of Carmen like that? No, uh, I, 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 wow. We uh, <laughs> shared dressing rooms with Carmen on those Young Messiah tours. Uh, I rode on a bus uh, with Carmen during one tour. He, he's a big uh, martial arts fan. He was. I don't know if you know. <laughs> We watched martial arts videos. Hey, look, those demons aren't going to kill themselves. Oh, man. I mean, he was into this guy named Gracie from Brazil that did some kind of jujitsu. <laughs> and he was just, he was rabid about that stuff. Um, what were we talking about? Um <laughs> Hey, any, any any tangent on the Carmen is, is time well spent. Yeah, marketing. Uh, where is he now? Do you know? He's I mean, in uh, Oklahoma, and yeah. uh, he uh, is still doing sporadic touring. And I actually tried to interview him a couple months ago, but couldn't get through his handlers. So, who knows? <laughs> I, hear for, I hear occasionally his name, and uh, I heard he was married, and I heard he wasn't. No, that's like a big deal on the internet. Is is um, there's like websites and had it annulled or something? No, and, like there are websites devoted just to Carmen rumors, but like nobody knows what the guy's deal is. Like, okay. supposedly he's not married, but there's all these rumors. Like you just said, I mean, I, I don't know. 
I heard he had a heart attack. I heard he had cancer. I heard he was in a car accident. I, I don't know. He's kind of like, he's kind of like Elvis in a lot of ways. You know, when he first came out, I don't know if you remember that first uh, appearance of Carmen. Uh, it was very Elvis-like. It was just Carmen, like Carmen who? Carmen. <laughs> you know, I always say there's there's two people that they will never Christian music will never let them get the spotlight. There'll never be anybody like them, and uh, that's Carmen and Rich Mullins. <laughs> I, there's just never going to be another Carmen that somehow acquires the spotlight in some music. Uh, and Rich, you know, he was he was an f- interesting guy. Uh, after he uh, died, a few years later, I wrote a devotional book, and the publisher was a friend of Pat Boone's, and they sent Pat uh, a copy of my book. And Pat wrote a letter back to them and said, I didn't know Wayne, but I always loved his song, Awesome God. <laughs> and, uh, and so I wrote Pat a letter and uh, said rumors of my demise were greatly exaggerated. <laughs> uh, my favorite Wayne Watson song was always Jesus Freak. So <laughs> I thought you hit it out of the park with that one, Wayne. I, I played a date with Rich one time and, he, and he, we were about to go out and uh, he had on a Budweiser t-shirt. <laughs> a red Budweiser t-shirt and, and of course... The promoter. I think we we were at um, oh, what's the Christian school in Chicago? Big uh, Wheaton. Wheaton. Yeah, it was at Wheaton, and I think he he was about to walk out and spoke while somebody said, "Rich man," and she just right there took it off, turned it inside out, said, "Let's go." Yeah, <laughs> so, that's that's awesome. Yeah, he's a different kind of cat. Uh, no, it's weird because uh, you know back then, like there was no social media. You know, you, you really the narrative was pretty controlled of what you learned about Christian artists. But even then, like you, everybody knew that he was weird. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Like they couldn't but, polish him up to be Michael uh, W. Smith. Like he was just going to be strange. Yeah. He, uh, he said what he thought and in some venues that didn't go very well, you know, <laughs> but he's, he, he still, uh, is that mysterious, legendary, truly mysterious, legendary kind of artist. Uh, man, he's been gone for, what, 15? Oh, it's been like uh, 22 20, years, 20, I think. Crazy, man. I think it was, right? No, you're right. Maybe it was, he died in 97, I think, right? I, yeah, so like come 19, up, 20. Come up 20 years. Wow. But, you know... Uh, when teenagers started listening to worship music and, and you know, my my grown kids were listening to it, starting to play themselves, um, what are you going to say? If you're drawing kids in and, and interfacing them with, with, even if they don't realize it, even psychologically, if they just think, this is cool, we're rocking, you know, and they're singing about the Lord, I think eventually it kind of works well. I think God uses it. Um, I have some thoughts about why worship music completely wiped everything off the the table for a while. And I think one of the reasons is that it was simple uh, for the most part. Uh, How so? Well, to say it was dumbed down is not very nice. Uh, And I was taught to be nice. And Like like a song framework? Like the framework is already, already there? Like what do you mean? So, from a musical standpoint, worship music from the beginning 
and most of it now that's popular, it's gotten a little more complex. But musically, it was very simple, and it lyrically was repetitive, and sometimes musically repetitive. Mm-hmm. And people criticize that. It's just over and the same thing, over and over. They call them 7-Eleven songs. Sing yeah. it uh, seven words 11 times over, <laughs> or seven words 11. I don't know. Anyway, it was uh, repetitive. And then I always kind of chuckled. I don't know that I ever told him by this, but I think, you know, well, you know, George Frederick Handel did pretty well repeti- being repetitive. <laughs> and uh, But a lot of the songs were, were simplified. Why? Because the guy that works at the bank and the fifth grade school teacher or the assistant principal at the junior high, they don't think about music all the time. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about it. When they come into church, they're still thinking about that delinquent kid that they, what are we going to do with him? And the guy at the bank is wondering, if I don't approve this loan, they're going, oh, what am I going to do? And they come in, and for an hour at the most, they're exposed to what we think about all the time. And I'm, I studied music in college, and I, sort, I have a formal degree, and so it took me years to shake out of that. Mm-hmm. But people don't want People not only don't want to have to think about these complicated melodies. And where, where was that last line? How did, how did it go? Or words that are cleverly phrased and all that stuff. They want to just sing something that they can easily grab onto. And I think that's why things were simplified. And it helped people worship. And I have, you can't do anything but uh, praise that and be thankful for that. It went overboard because it wiped every other genre of lyric and melody off the, off the table, and suddenly those of us that told story songs or talked about life as it really is and not necessarily life it ought to be, uh, we were playing horizontal songs and not vertical songs. Mm-hmm. We really didn't have a place. It, uh, it really is jarring to go back and look at some of the, the CCM artists you know, from like the nineties and and just think, you know, could they, could they do that today? Because a lot of them, I I don't, I mean, I don't think a lot of them could, there wouldn't be a a platform for them. Well, there's not a platform for, uh, I wouldn't, I don't know. I won't say a lot of it. I would say most of us, there's not a platform. A couple of weeks ago, a bunch of guys in Nashville that have been getting together Oh, they're, Old CCM dudes, Bob Bennett, Scott Wesley Brown, uh, Bruce Carroll, uh, mm-hmm. even before that, Matthew, uh, Matthew, what's it, the second chapter of Acts, Matthew, Matthew, anyway, uh, a bunch of guys from the 80s and 90s and managers and record people and talking about how in, in rock and roll and pop music, there's, there's a, a place of honor for people like Elton John and Sting and even prior to that. And in Christian music, I think there's this sort of, well, they're not cool anymore, so we're not going to play it. We're still, it's kind of immature view. It's kind of an immature uh, perspective. But what are you going to do? So what you try, what I try to do is the reason that Elton John and Sting are still somewhat revered is because they stay relevant and they still write and perform and they, they make good art. And so that's kind of where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, you know, it, it seems like the Christian music industry never really had like a plan, like a succession plan of like, you know, how do we continue to honor the people who sort of laid the foundation? Because, you know, yeah. like as soon as, you know, you guys hit a certain age, it was like, okay, we got to go younger, got to go younger, got to go younger. Yeah. yeah. 
And, uh, well, and it, it hurts us because, uh, you know, if you don't, if, if you don't do uh, new, new material often and you don't get radio play, uh, then you don't get many opportunities to go play live, and concerts are kind of where things still uh, still happen. And uh, because of those first three things, you don't have new material often, and you don't get radio exposure. People don't know who you are, so they don't invite you to come and play in their town. And honestly, uh, the other element to what's happened with this and, and the reason that the music world is different for me now is that a lot of churches don't do concerts anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they got burned. I, well, I don't know. I know that some got burned by artists that were thinking, grading their paper a little bit high and thinking a little much of themselves. <laughs> they just, they didn't, <laughs> not I give $5 to know who you're thinking about right now. <laughs> I've got names. <laughs> you know, I think they just said, you know what, we don't need to pay people five grand to come in here and, act like rock stars. I mean, we want people to come and minister to our people. And then there are promoters that just use the venue. But, uh... See, I, I still feel like you're subtweeting Carmen right now. You just, you just no, continue. <laughs> no, 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 I, I don't know. I, I can't speak to that. I do know some uh, first-hand uh, details, but not about him. <laughs> no, but, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, what happened is churches began to hire these young kids that grew up in their church that listened to me and listened to Smitty and, and whomever, and they started playing guitar and keyboard, and they started writing worship songs. They started playing in the youth band, and mm-hmm. next thing you know, they graduate college, and they want to play guitar, and they want to be in, involved in ministry, and they come back, and they're hired as uh, you know worship leaders in their church. And before you know it, they've got a band, and they're not bad. And so a lot of churches uh, go to this uh, way of thinking of, look, our worship team is as good as you. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch bring you in. They're here every week, and they kill it. And some of them do. And But that's not the point. Uh, they're young, and a lot of us have a perspective on life. We've, been, we've lived some time, and we've been beaten up. I have a little bit and more than a little bit in time, at times. And we have things to say to their congregation, and we have things to share that might uh, tweak their hearts in a particular direction, but they're, they're just simply not interested. They don't look that far. Yeah. A lot of churches uh, are very self-contained, and we've got, we've got workout facilities, and we've got school, and we've got a restaurant, and we've got, we've got everything you need right here. And if you don't want to go out and sell it yourself, with the world, you don't have to. You can do everything right here, and we'll welcome you. And you know, I don't think that's why we're here. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to ask you while I got you on the line, um, and this just happened by pure chance. Uh, you know, in the in the interim between asking you to come on the podcast and then actually recording this, uh, we did have some news in the Christian music world where DC Talk is apparently uh, teasing some kind of return. I mean, I would assume that they're going to make music or tour or something. Uh, based on what I've heard, but uh, I just wanted to ask you, like, what was that like when they sort of broke out from the fringes and just sort of took over the main stage of CCM there, maybe circa 95, 90, 96? What was that like being inside the industry and seeing that? It was uh, it was a little startling and fun, uh, and none of us really knew how they did it. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you, though, Matthew, I, I've never really been inside the circle. Uh-huh. Uh, 
I've never lived in Nashville. I love Nashville. I have a son that lives there with his family. Uh, I love it, but I've never lived there, and so I have not always been privy to all the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens, how things develop or any of that. Um, but I remember playing at Liberty University in is it Virginia or Lynchburg? In Lynchburg. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had never had a contemporary concert there. And I had done something or played a song or one of their, one of their professors was having a health crisis, cancer or something, and he heard me uh, play a song, and it moved him beyond his narrow uh, view of what church music and gospel and, and Christianity should be. Mm-hmm. And just put all that aside and said, I don't know about what else this business is about, but I know this song and this guy touched my life and helped <clears> me. And so they invited me, and I, I think I played like the first real, if you want to call it, contemporary concert at Liberty. Mm-hmm. And there, they just went, they just blew up, and they had all kind of things going on with their students, and a, and a lot of those guys came out of Liberty University and uh, turned it into a huge deal. Uh, it's, it's still mind-boggling what DC taught did. They were true pioneers from that, that point in time. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I wanted to kind of touch on because uh, people have no idea that, like, in the earlier days of CCM, I mean, guys like you, like, not only did you have to prove yourself to the outsiders, you also caught fire from within the church. Oh, absolutely. Of people it's... who were saying, that not only is this music not good, it's of Satan. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's not that we don't, you know, and it's interesting because I, I used to, occasionally board a soapbox and I, I just remember telling talking about on interviews that you know if you don't like something if it's personal taste then that's <laughs> fine but don't spiritualize it and make us feel like we're all satan worshipers you know mike Wunky was was but i mean <clears throat> i mean he wasn't but he was lying anyway um it's all you know we we had to prove it but you know what what's so weird man is we're still kind of having to fight that battle we haven't come very far there well now, people, it's, now it's just about yoga pants uh, oh my gosh <laughs> what is the deal wayne watson tell the people where they can find you uh where they can find your music um they can find they can find uh i think most of the recordings i've done uh a lot of them are out of print from in hard copy form, but a lot of it, most of it's available on any number of digital sites like iTunes. Uh, and I didn't realize how many others there were, but there are lots of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spotify, uh, you can find hard copies. If you want to uh, have a hard copy of a new CD, Simple Life, you can find that on iTunes, or you can buy a hard copy through waynewatson.com. And uh, if, if, if I send you... Want, you... If I send you a watercolor ponies CD, will you sign it for me? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, uh, sort of Kenny, Kenny Loggins rolled up my uh, <laughs> rolled up sleeves under the jacket. It, it is one of the most incredible covers in all of Christian music. <laughs> well, hey, there's this yeah, there's sort of this hands on the hips sort of. Uh, looking off to the side, and I will tell you this is a true story. 
Uh, I love I love listening to comedians like uh, somebody said. I went camping for this next joke. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm standing there, and you know when you do a photo shoot back then, anyway, when you do a photo shoot, we'd shoot for five or six hours, and just people in your face all day. They're tweaking this. Who cares, you know? And we're we're shooting pictures, and somebody drops something off to my left, whichever way I'm looking on that album. I think I'm looking left. Some big loud noise, and I just look over there. Of course, they shot it, and that's the one they used. So oh, nice. Yeah. So, but but funky little uh, artwork on that thing. But that album was uh, it had a lot of a lot of good feelings on it. So. <laughs> Anyway, people can find me on Facebook at Wayne Watson uh, Music, I think. I, I think it's just Wayne Watson on Facebook. Okay. Uh, I, I don't do a lot of the social media stuff at this point, but I do respond to emails that are sent to WayneWatson.com, uh, Wayne at WayneWatson.com. I hate saying my name over and over again. Um, but that's where you can find me. And uh, we're touring. I'm touring this this uh, fall with a young man named uh, Andrew Greer, and uh, we're open some weekends still. And uh, love to come come play for you. Very good, Wayne Watson. Thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you, man.